G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 46 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. and today we are joined by Melissa from Bristol in the UK who is the mother of three-year-old Hallie who was born with IARM and associated vectoral issues. Welcome Melissa. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And so you've written your story about Hallie's journey. So what we'll do is I'll get you to start reading her story. And after you've read it, we'll have a uh, chat. Well, um, sounds good. My first ever podcast, so you'll have to bear with me. <laughs> Hallie was born, so came into the world about a week late. Agonising week, I must admit. It was long. But she was born at 11.04 on the 28th of August which actually was a really straightforward pregnancy. Things when she was born seemed initially quite normal. She was a little bit sort of bubbly and frothy at the mouth, and we were assured by the actual midwife at the time that it was just mucus and, you know, that would calm down. When Hallie did have her first poo, so, you know, everything was going to plan, we did have a little mishap where my uh, husband thought that she'd stop breathing quite early on and again was reassured by the midwife that everything was fine so we sort of went through the sort of similar process you know my parents came to visit her sister came into the hospital where they actually met for the first time which was the most amazing moment ever and it was sort of a matter of sort of hours since my oldest daughter left and my husband went home that things started to sort of unravel a little so throughout the day we tried feeding Hallie quite a few number of times it felt really not straightforward and felt a bit alien I think deep down I knew something was wrong so I asked her midwife to intervene and she tried feeding Hallie and it came quite apparent that she needed some help so she went bought a doctor from the NICU who came down and then quite quickly whisked her to NICU and she was put on oxygen so the team acted really, really quickly, actually, it, from that point on. And it was suspected that Hallie might have a number of conditions. And I was sort of told to call my husband back to the hospital. This was sort of the middle of the night. They sort of conducted loads of checks at this point. So sort of I was put into a side room at that point while they sort of tried to have a look what was wrong and put a cannula in. Obviously, I'd only just had her, so it was all very distressing. And then... My parents brought my husband in when we were all whisked off to another side room. It was actually a playroom. It was very vivid. I'll always remember it. Where they sort of told us that they thought Hallie may, may have that vactoral association. And she was presenting some of the issues from there. And they were quite adamant that she have a TOF, which is tracheoesophageal fistula. Her oxygen levels were about 70. And the tube, the NG tube they tried to pass, just coiled up. I mentioned to them that she'd already pooed and because they told me she didn't have a bottom. So this was sort of when AI and arm were sort of introduced and they said they probably suspected it was in the wrong location rather than they couldn't find it. So we were transferred to another hospital and they said she'd she would need emergency surgery as soon as possible. So the first surgery that Hallie had was the morning after she was born. So she was only 26 hours old where they went in and repaired her esophagus, because her esophagus, um, for anybody that doesn't know, tracheoesophageal fistula, so where the esophagus doesn't meet the stomach, it's attached to the windpipe, and it's just like a little pocket at that stage. And they also then made her stoma on that surgery as well. The esophagus repair was much more complicated than they sort of first thought. It was a very tight repair, quite high up in the esophagus. 
And actually the complications meant that it didn't quite go to plan and that basically there was a leak in her esophagus. So anything that she was feeding was all um, going out into her chest. So they had to place another chest strain back in surgery and then unfortunately had to wait for weeks and weeks for the esophagus to heal. During that sort of time, we were then introduced to our lovely stoma nurses who sort of gave us an insight to sort of how stoma life would be. And at that stage, I wasn't massively overwhelmed by the stoma. Sort of, I'd all, already sort of got used to sort of changing it. It was felt quite similar to changing a nappy. And her bottom was sort of an issue that we would deal with as in when we needed to. That wasn't sort of the priority at that point. You just have to sort of deal with the priorities as they come up. Um, luckily, then sort of after three months, near enough of her being around uh, we got sent home so that was a real big moment for us where we sent home as a family of four finally to live all together under one roof we spent Christmas together which was our first Christmas which we feel really fortunate for because we know so many people don't get to do that and then it was towards the end of January 2020 when Hallie became really unwell she stopped feeding and she was admitted to hospital again so the likeliness was that she'd need a stretch of her esophagus so she went back to the theatre for the third time and they completed the stretch. However, the next day she became increasingly unwell and they started to realise potentially it wasn't the esophagus that was the issue. She was so complex that they were sort of scratching their heads at what potentially it could be. So in the end, the professionals decided that they were going to take her back to theatre for the fourth time, unfortunately, and just to investigate because they were sort of, her stomach was distended and there was lots of sort of, issues that they potentially thought could be to do with the stoma and the bowel. She was in theatre for six hours and to be honest that was the worst six hours ever because we didn't actually know what was going on. It was sort of much of a guessing game at that point and then finally we got to meet the surgeon in recovery and she sort of explained that Hallie had a really unusual bowel malrotation. So quite an extensive amount of her bowel twisted, so two-thirds of it had twisted and died and that that had to be removed. So she's only left with 52 centimetres of small bowel. So this was a journey, was a bit of a curveball. We weren't expecting this to happen, nor were any of her consultants. And that meant that actually Hallie then was going to really struggle, not only to feed orally because of her esophagus, but actually to absorb any nutrients that would come through her body. So she was then put on what we call TPM, which is sort of an IV feeding, because her bowel just needed time to recover it was during that time so sort of towards March time then Covid hit (laughs) so we were still in hospital trying to get her to feed and basically all visiting stopped so her sister was unable to visit us in hospital me and my husband had to visit separately we weren't allowed on the ward at the same time so that was all very extremely hard for all of us the team then decided that actually Hallie wasn't making enough progress in the hospital and that she would be sent home on TPM and I don't know how they managed to do it but they organized the whole thing in the middle of the pandemic so in the height of the pandemic we were set home with all this medical equipment and me and my, my husband had to sort of learn how to do her IV access at home, which is something we'd never expected that we need to do. So when we were actually discharged from hospital, we were in like a little bubble. It was nice again. The four of us got to be together. We felt really safe. We had no experience in nursing, nor did we ever think we would need it. It was actually very daunting, I must admit. You know, we just got on with it at the time. But looking back, 
the responsibility that we had was was huge. It wasn't straightforward from there. So Hallie's esophagus kept closing. So she kept choking on milk, for example. So the first time we went back in after being discharged was only 10 days later to go back to surgery to have it reopened. She was sort of feeding very small amounts of milk at this time. And sort of we had to try and increase that as we went ourselves. The strangest thing was that Hallie's uh, surgeries for a pull through we're going to still go ahead during the pandemic because the actual the children's hospitals were actually very quiet um I wasn't expecting it at all so on the 26th of May which is actually my mum's 60th birthday the sort of same surgeon operated on her that did her bowel malrotation and did her, her pull through surgery but we knew obviously she was in very good and capable hands she's you know the most experienced surgeon in that sur- uh, in that particular surgery in the hospital as well the surgery actually took less time than we were sort of anticipating so that was really promising which was very unusual for Hallie because she never plays by the rule book uh, <laughs> recovery was much smoother than I did anticipate I'd read lots before going into this surgery and I sort of prepared for the worst case scenario and she bounced back quite quickly. Two weeks later, we returned back to hospital to be shown how to do the dilatations. Something, you know, as a parent, I was completely dreading. I don't know how you do it, but, you know, at the time, I just didn't think it was going to be a possibility. Unfortunately, that didn't go to plan. The stoma nurse couldn't insert the rods herself. A surgeon took a look to try and do it herself and realised that the bottom hole that she reconstructed had closed over in two weeks, which is something that she has never seen in 25 years of doing it. (laughs) So unfortunately, we were readmitted. We were taken back down to the theatre under a general anaesthetic and then they opened up uh, her healed bottom and did a dilatation. And then we stayed in hospital for a couple of days just to check we were happy, you know, doing them. So, yeah, the next couple of months were quite a big challenge for us in general. Hallie was always in and out of hospital, having more stretches on her her esophagus nearly every two to three weeks, probably at that point. We were quite often admitted due to temperatures because with a central line, you have to be really careful of sepsis. So any sign of a temperature, you have to be in and bloods have to be taken. Her stoma was becoming, you know, quite unmanageable with a short gut because we were trying different foods. And then finally, we got to the right size for dilatation after a couple of months of doing it. And then Hallie's stoma reversal was booked in on, on the 11th of August. So she went back to theatre for that. I really, I had a real nerves throughout this uh, surgery. It's probably one of the most straightforward surgeries she's had, just a reconnection. But I was just really panicking that something would really go wrong. But again, that actually went relatively straightforward, which was really nice. And then we w- w- we waited forever, actually, for what felt like forever for her first poo. You know, for her, it was like the longest, well, me, the longest 48 hours. <laughs> But yeah, and I did take a picture, which I'm sure most <laughs> IFA <laughs> and ARM parents can appreciate. It is one of the best things to actually see your child poo properly. And yeah, so after seven days, we got discharged, um, sort of home, ready to change lots of dirty nappies. To be honest, for the first couple of months, I really did regret having the stoma reverse because although it was becoming unmanageable, the nappies were more unmanageable at that stage. So if we would probably changing 20 nappies a day but all of a sudden sort of things did start to settle down slightly and as the months did pass you know there are have always been other challenges that like to 
uh, pop up, but things did start to settle. Hallie was still needing TPM at this point, but we were increasing milk feeds and more foods orally. So it meant that weight gain was a bit more steady than actually steadier than anybody was expecting. Hallie's TPM was then reduced slightly and we tried her without TPM for one night, which was just amazing because it meant that we that routine of doing it sort of pretty much takes over your life um so just having one night where you haven't got to worry about it was great I then actually returned back to work in November 2020 and I still look back and think how did I manage all of that but I did (laughs) Um, did. (laughs) yeah I I don't know how but it did it happened somehow and then actually in November 2020, there was another lockdown announced, which actually became really tricky for Hallie to start nursery because of being potentially vulnerable. Luckily, her consultant sort of did a lot of research and said, you know, she could start nursery and that actually felt that she wouldn't be affected if she was to contract COVID. But however, you know, it was still for everybody, I'm sure, a really scary time. Then sort of moving on to much happier news in February 2021, Hallie's consultant thought we should just try and stop the TPN. We'd got to a point where we winged it down and she was sort of gaining weight quite well. She was growing in proportion. Her central line, unfortunately, had to stay for a little bit of time just to be on the safe side that, you know, if she needed it, it was there. Unfortunately... (laughs) Another thing that didn't go to plan is um, Hallie's line then became blocked and it'd been blocked for a sort of a quite a fair portion of time. I was very nervous that she was going to become unwell and contract sepsis. And one week before the line removal was due, we then had to go into hospital because she did contract line sepsis, which means that they then had to quite swiftly take the line away. But once that was removed, Hallie actually and herself really perked up so that was definitely the cause of it and then made a full recovery and the line itself the central line you know we had many restrictions so having a bath you know going swimming going to the beach we had to be really careful of our daily routine to make sure that you know infection wasn't a risk so it made all those things sort of you know doable for us you know having her first bath taking her to the beach we did as much as we could and it made such a big difference to the daily routine not having not having to do that so yeah just to sort of sort of round it up in the first two years Hallie she you know probably spent the best part of eight months in hospital countless admissions ambulance journeys and 21 operations in total you know the vast majority of that time we spent was in the height of the pandemic which looking back just seems absolutely crazy well gee Melissa it's hard to uh, fathom what you've actually had to go through with dealing with the the TOF and the IARM, it's what do you think was the more challenging earlier, the esophagus or her bowels? So I'd say early stages from birth, it was the TOF. That caused a lot of issues with, with the leak that she had and the, the complications. She was nil by mouth for seven weeks in NICU where she couldn't have anything to eat until her esophagus actually healed by itself there was more risk of going in so I think that was the thing that took precedent over everything else but then once we were readmitted it was probably a combination of both because they sort of were almost fighting against each other the TOF and the bowel complications and definitely losing a lot of her bowel has made it a lot more challenging you know most parents I've spoken to with you know um say that you know that's 
problems potentially with constipation and other various things, whereas we're a complete opposite to that. <laughs> you know, shortcut means that everything moves through the body a lot, lot quicker. So, yeah, so, that was challenging. <laughs> so she's got the motility issues. Yeah, so because the most of her small intestine was removed, the amount of time that it takes to go around the body is much less with her. So, you know, the transit is much quicker. So she's probably, you know, from her perspective, that's why she wouldn't absorb nutrients and vitamins and minerals, which has taken us quite a long time. And she takes some supplements as well to avoid, you know, being deficient. So you you did mention that you had the times you regretted having the stoma reversed. How do you feel about that now, now that it's like, say, 18 months on? Yeah, so I think personally for us, definitely with the TPN element, the stoma reversal in the end was a bit of a game changer. I think with the stoma still being intact, I do feel she's got some control over her bowel movements. I don't know how much yet because she's still very young. She's got speech delay as well, so it's really struggling to communicate. But from what I can gather, she has got some level of, of control. And I think with the stoma, that definitely made would make life a lot harder. So, yeah, I think I initially regretted it. I think just because of how it felt unmanageable doing 20 nappies a day. But once it sort of calmed down, I've sort of got used to that. And it's definitely helped us, you know, from, you know, from her perspective to absorb more and be able to, you know, have a better quality of life. Definitely. That's really important news because, you know, I, I imagine there's a lot of parents out there who have go through that issue. Well, should they have done the reversal or should they not have? So, no, thanks yeah. for that. And you mentioned about the home care. That must have been very, very challenging. Yes. It's just, it was a real strange one because we'd sort of been prepped for the Vactual Association when she was diagnosed and we had time to sort of digest that information but then the bowel malrotation sort of opened up a whole new world and when they mentioned TPN I didn't almost really understand that that's what she was on before when she was a child and didn't really take as much notice but when I realized the, the implication of what we would need to do at home it meant that we had to learn to access the line in a very sterile way so very strategic hand washing, making sure we didn't touch certain surfaces. It had to be very much a, a joint thing between me and my husband. So, yeah, it was it was difficult. But it, it, at the time, we just got on with it because that's all we wanted for us, us all be to be home as a family. And at that point, we were just relieved that she was with us, to be honest, because, you know, it could have gone completely the other way. I can only imagine. And... How did her older sister cope with all this? Yeah, her older sister actually has been completely amazing. She took it all in her stride initially. So she'd come to visit her in hospital. And then when she couldn't visit her, she took it really well, which I was really surprised. But generally, she's been such a help, you know, getting things like, say, for example, when my husband returned back to the work, uh, back to work, when sort of the pandemic sort of started to scale back. It was me and her in the morning. So she actually became really a young carer because she would quite often help me hold her arms so that she didn't move so that I it wouldn't be sort of unsterile. 
yeah, the amounts of things that she's she's done as she's eight now, she would have been sort of between five and seven at the time of helping, you know, it's it's incredible really. We're very lucky actually to she's very grown up for her for her age. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Like and I can see how much it she's supported you when you needed it. Yeah, and I think she didn't really realise at the time. Um, I can remember speaking to her about it once we'd sort of about to come off the PN and I said, you know, you've you've really, really helped mummy and daddy. And she said, yeah. She said, but, you know, she's my sister and, I, you know, I've got to do it. And I said, we don't really have to do it. Like, you're a child. And she said, but what would you do if I, if I didn't do it? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. She said, see? So she's just sort of we all club together as a bit of a team, which which is really nice. I think she's definitely showing sort of the after effects now. I think now everything's calmed down. I think her brain's starting to process things, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, I'm going to try and see if I can get her some help because I think she's seen more than most sort of five to eight year olds, you know, would see in a lifetime. So I think, yes, yeah, it's quite important. That I try and get her some sort of help really. Yeah, I was going to uh, touch on that to say how did it affect her emotionally and seeing her little sister be unwell for such a long time as well, it would have to have an effect on her. Yeah, I think we've underestimated sort of how it has affected her. She's just seemed to get on with it. But more recently, she's been having quite like vivid dreams in, on an evening. So we'll wake up and, she'll, you know, it's quite a recurring dream. So, yeah, we're going to look into some sort of like play-based therapy because I've had therapy myself personally. And I sort of took it for granted that she was OK. But, yeah, it's, it's bound to have an effect. You know, quite often we've had to call an ambulance and where Hallie's been choking and she, the paramedics have had to come in and intervene. And she's seen all of that. So, yeah, that and unfortunately, sort of, it is unavoidable, you know, it's nothing we can do, but we just have to try and explain it to her in the, you know, in the most age-appropriate way, I suppose. Yeah. So, Melissa, you've actually mentioned that you've had to get involved in therapy as well. How has it affected you psychologically with all Hallie's issues? So, I think initially I was... Well, now that I've had therapy, I can really sort of understand how my body reacted to the trauma. I was quite sort of in the sort of fight mode. So I was all stations go initially, just trying to get through, you know, one of probably the most traumatic times of my life. When I was in NICU, I managed to access a psychologist who I've seen a couple of times, which I at the time I didn't feel massively helpful because I think I was just living in this cloud of you didn't know what was happening from one day to the to the next and just the hospital life as a whole is a bit of a roller coaster you know there's little steps forward and then three five steps back it feels like so from that perspective but then it was more so when we were admitted the second time with the bowel uh, malrotation that I I think it hit me the hardest I think in the moment again I sort of got on with it I was as strong as I could be but it was more so then when we came home during the pandemic I think it did hit me so I had some therapy with actually my a daughter's hospital team the gastro team had put me in in contact with the psychologist there and that felt a bit more like counseling I would say just checking in with me seeing how I was feeling and there was quite often a couple of times where I just felt like I couldn't cope anymore I can remember one experience of being myself having to go for a hospital appointment Hallie 
couldn't be with anybody else. It was the middle of the you know, part of the pandemic. My parents weren't comfortable with looking after her because of her central line. And, but I wasn't allowed to take her in. So I was in this split situation where I said, like, I have to be in and out, just keep her in the car seat, don't let her out <laughs> for 10 or 15 minutes while I have this appointment. And before I went in there, I just had a complete meltdown. So it was at that point I thought I really need to get some help because these emotions are starting to come out in a quite extreme way. I think it's pressure and stress. And then it was more so it hit me. The hardest, once things have started to calm down, if I'm being completely honest, I definitely suffered with sort of flashbacks and nightmares. I used to have the same sort of reoccurring intrusive thought of of Hallie passing away. Quite often would wake up with that thought and it started to affect my sort of how I function day to day. So it was at that point I then managed to self-refer to a charity in the UK and then they gave me a block of PTSD a therapy sessions which I find equally interesting as helpful because it made me understand how the brain works and that I'm not you know going crazy because I did feel like I was going a bit crazy and I also felt guilty for feeling like that because I've you know I'm over the worst of the times why am I feeling like this now but I'd highly recommend you know anybody that's got any type of those symptoms to go and actually seek professional help because I think the brain's much more complex than we all realise. I used to get quite a funny recurring smell as well, which I still get. So I quite often smell burning toast if I feel really stressed. And that potentially is a a trigger, they said, from potentially being in hospital. And I could smell toast quite often from the nurses having their breakfast. And I had that associated smell with a bad memory. So, yeah, it's it's crazy but yeah I find it really useful to actually have to go through that process and I'd be open to more if I felt like I was struggling again because I think it's you know something that nobody really would ever expect to go through as a parent. That's really good advice that you recommend people to go down that track because as you say you're in that fight mode and then when things level out a bit that's when it all hits you by the sound of it. Yeah, and that's definitely what happened with me. And I think similar is happening to my daughter. Now things are calming down. I think she's very, she's quite a deep thinker like me. So she's sort of processing it. So I do think it's quite a normal thing to happen. I get quite a lot of anxiety around around her birthday because obviously that's when everything sort of happened. And I quite often get a really low mood around anniversaries. But now I've started to identify that the reasons I'm getting these feelings are you know, just based around those anniversaries coming up or those traumatic memories that it brings back up. And I know when we spoke about you coming on the podcast, I asked you to write some things down. How did you go writing them down? And did that bring, did that trigger many things? I'd imagine it would. Yeah, the problem I get is I, I can remember everything so vividly. So every time I try and write anything down, I have to be really reserved. Otherwise, this podcast would have been about four hours long. (laughs) So like I quite often remember every absolute little memory that, that comes to mind. But yeah, it's always quite, it's always not traumatic, but it can be quite upsetting or a bit emotional to put it all onto paper because actually it's just a, it sort of reconfirms sort of the journey that we've been on. But equally, you know, I sort of because I'm at the other end almost (laughs) there's still some challenges don't get me wrong but I can also look back and think how far she's come now which is really nice 
probably a couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have been in the same mindset. So yeah, it's nice. I can see sort of the achievements that she's made and, you know, progress that she is making. And how has your husband dealt with it all? Very differently to me. (laughs) So he doesn't say much. He's very cool, calm and collective. He sort of keeps his feelings to himself. So if he's stressed or worried about anything, he just tries to keep it to himself. And he's never seems unhappy or stressed which actually has really helped me because I'm the one that you know quite often wears my heart on my sleeve and I'll tell anybody our journey you know I feel like awareness is everything whereas he is very calm and actually for me I think it's been a really good thing I think if we were both warriors I think it would be quite difficult but yeah I'm reassuring and caring I think without him this journey would have been so so difficult you know as much as you know he deals with it differently he does definitely support all of us as a family and he's done what most men you know probably would have found really difficult to do like the dilatations and actually learning how to do IV medication which I have no experience so yeah I sort of take my hat off to him he's been a really good support to me well and the girls oh that's wonderful now I know you uh you've got a social media presence how is that impacted you being on the social media groups and sharing Hallie's journey as well? Yeah so I initially sort of set it up and then for quite a number of months I couldn't post anything so I never posted anything in real time because I found it too hard but actually then when I felt ready I sort of posted our journey in little segments which actually I felt was quite therapeutic for me also I've well we've got a community of tough parents obviously we've got the the sort of group that you know I know you're a big part of there's one in five thousand there's numerous groups for various different things and I think sometimes they are can be a bit overwhelming um But if I do find them overwhelming, I tend to just take a break from them for a little bit. But more so, I've connected with so many people like yourself, you know, opposite side of the world, which, you know, from that perspective is just amazing because you don't feel alone, which you you do feel ultimately alone initially in this in this journey. You feel like, you know, you're the only one that's ever been through it. And as much as you wouldn't wish this upon anybody, it does feel nice to have a community that really understands what you what you're going through what you've been through and can support you and you can support them so yeah I think it's been it's been good on the whole so let's get to the present day you've uh, just had some more news about a condition that Hallie's been diagnosed with haven't you yeah it was sort of a random uh, her dad was actually away with some of his friends and I was staying with parents and we, um, I sort of changed her nappy and I just thought something looked wrong and different to sort of what I was, I hadn't really explored that area much, you know, given everything that she's gone through. And I was just sat in shock thinking, surely this can't be another thing that, you know, we've got to contend with. So I emailed pretty quickly her stoma nurses who are, oh, they're absolutely fantastic who emailed me back quite quickly and said, look, we'll, we'll book an appointment in for you to be seen because I couldn't find sort of a vaginal opening. And I know that she had one before her pull-through surgery because that's essentially where her bottom was situated. So we went for the appointment and they confirmed that she had what they call sort of a labial fusion. 
So that sort of is just putting a little bit of a spanner in the works when it comes to potty training, because we know that we're, we're, we're struggling to a degree with potty training at the moment. We're making good progress, but now the the actual weaning side of, of potty training has actually sort of thrown up a spanner in the works to the fact that, you know, it's essentially creating a bit of a pocket where it's filling up and sort of spilling over. So we're not sure if she's got the, what's the word, if she's got the sensation that you would normally get. Oh, okay. Now, and you've also mentioned that uh, her speech and language is delayed a bit. What are the doctors saying in regard to that? So there was quite a discussion sort of when she was quite young. I was one of these parents that wanted to know all the eventualities of something that could happen just so I was sort of prepared and speech and language was one of the things that was brought up that potentially could she could have a delay due to all the intervention with her esophagus the fact that it was obviously not attached the muscles won't work as effectively as you know a normal esophagus so that became quite apparent sort of when she started to speak so currently she's probably speaking at the level of a two-year-old I would say two two and a half year old maybe and she's been having speech and language therapy sessions but it's since sort of been brought to the table that potentially they think she might be on the autistic spectrum which might explain some of the other behaviors that we're having and also will contribute potentially to the speech delay so that's something that we're now going through the process of waiting for an assessment and there's a huge waiting list in this country unfortunately oh well at least they're onto it that's the most important thing aren't they yeah yeah and later this year she will start school how are you looking for looking towards that yeah so with starting school she's due to start school in september sort of in the uk you can actually delay their entry to school right um because she would turn she'd only turn four in august and then sort of be expected to go to school and be the youngest so there's a pathway now that you can delay them in a, a year which is partly agreed so we're sort of in that interim process and we're going through the echp process which is like an educational health care plan to make sure that's in place for when she does eventually go to school oh okay yeah that's, i'm not um, ready yeah. for school yet <laughs> <laughs> and she's not ready um i think as a you know we've had lots of reports through and i think you know as a parent i think you definitely know what's in the best interest of your child and you know when potentially they're going to when they'll be ready for certain things we're hoping she'll go to a mainstream school but potentially you know if you know things don't improve then we have got the provision of of a special school as well well as parents you definitely know what the best thing is for yeah definitely (laughs) even though people might try and tell you a bit differently sometimes you have to stick to your guns and know that you know them better than anybody. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, looking back, what would your be your greatest advice to someone who's just starting the journey as a parent? Personally, I know most people would say this, but just to take each day as it comes, I found that that was probably my best way, my coping strategy, I would say. So, for example, you know, in our early days, I didn't try to worry too much, which is almost impossible because you do worry. But to try and take professionals advice in relation to what the priority is now, because otherwise I think you'd spend so much time worrying over something that's going to come later, essentially. And the things that I actually did worry about 
most of those things were probably a little bit more straightforward than I first anticipated. So yeah, I would say take each day as it comes and reach out for, you know, I find that the, the, for me, reaching out to other people, you'll be really surprised at what, what the community can do <laughs> and, you know, how they can lift you up when you're feeling really low. And equally, then you can go on to support people, which you don't really you initially don't join the community to do that because you feel a bit lost but then actually you become part of this wider community that is actually so lovely to be part of you know we wouldn't choose to be in this community if we if we you know had a choice but now that we are you know for me it's just a huge factor and I think most parents that have been in my situation I probably could agree you know well Melissa Thanks so much for sharing your journey with Hallie. It's really been, one word I suppose is interesting, but that probably doesn't really cover it really well, does it? It is, it is an interesting journey because she's overcome so much, you know, and she's still a very, very happy little girl in all, thi- all things considered. So, Yeah, that's the most important thing. So thanks very much for sharing your story and um, please give Hallie a big hug for me. I will do indeed. All right, Melissa. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Greg. It's been a pleasure. See ya. Bye.